Welcome to Whose Or Is This? with Anthony Waite, a show designed to help leaders and high achievers increase their influence and impact by becoming intentional with how they show up in the world. If the wind does not favor, take to the oars. Here is your host, Anthony Waite. What is up, Mike? Good to see you, brother. Tony Waite, what's going on? Been good. Thanks. I missed you. It's been a while since we've actually got to see each other face to face. Yeah, there's been a lot going on. Yeah, you know, I think the last time that we got to sit down and actually talk is when I came to see you in the hospital. Yeah, I was in rough shape, man. <laughs> and, uh, and and I just want to say thank you for coming to see me, man. Uh, it, mean, it means a lot. Yeah, and we're going to get into that here soon. But, you know, that's something that, you know, I've always admired about you. And anytime that I get a chance to come and see you and just sit next to you, I think that, you know, I take it no matter what, because the the wisdom, the knowledge, and the passion that you have of mentoring and helping other people, I think, is second to none. And, you know, we, we're both in the same organization. We're both in the Navy. And we've known each other for about, what, two, three years now? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people think that all sailors or all military servicemen and women are created the same. And I, I don't think that's true. What would you say about that? Well, we're in camouflage for a reason, so I don't even know if we can see each other half the time. But um. Yeah, I mean, we come from all walks of life. And I mean, especially at this time in our nation's history, I think it's important to know that we all come from different parts of life. And, you know, I agree with you that the diversity in the military is something that attracted me to it. And the 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 different ideas and the different cultivation of the things that we do are a direct reflection of the diverse backgrounds of everybody that we have. I mean, sometimes we even get some guys who used to be homeless and now they're officers. That's right. That's right. I, I really believe that, you know, everybody kind of knows my story just from following me on, on this platform. And while they might think that my story is unique and, and, and one of a kind, I think there's so many other people out there that just have a, an idea or they have a story. They came from somewhere, maybe from some, from nowhere, and they've really done something with their life. And, you know, let's, let's go back, speaking of that, because when people see you, you know, when I met you, I saw this tall, dark, handsome man. <laughs> you had me at hello. Yeah. You know, but 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 the way you carry yourself and the way that you lead other people was very unique. Like you can tell that you have some 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 principles that I think guide you in your leadership and how you handle situations. But let's take it back to the Mike that joined the military. What was that like? Like what why did you I always get this question? So let me ask you this. Why did you join the military? So that Mike is a pothead. That Mike was a knucklehead and that that Mike uh, made a lot of mistakes. And I think that's what has allowed me to see the the world through the lenses of those I lead, or at least I try to. Um, and I didn't I'm not like most that say I joined the Navy because I was a patriot or I joined the military because I really wanted to fight for my country. I was a convert. I was transformed while in the military. And thank God for a, a lot of gracious leaders who took a chance on a knucklehead like me and the quick background about my military service will wrap up 21 years and hopefully 21 seconds or less. Um, when I joined, I joined out of, uh, out of Florida. Like I said, I was a pothead. I actually came in on a drug waiver. Um, I had to get a special, special waiver and a special clearance just to join the military. Um, so I, like I said, I was a knucklehead. I came in as a knucklehead and, um, and, and I really came in to get out of a bad situation. I, uh, it was my, my father said, you can, you can start paying rent. And I said, pay, what do you mean pay rent? So you can start paying rent, but you got to get out. You can, either, you can either join the military, go to college, or you can get out of my house. Well, that, but that's the end. So ended up in the military, um, became a hospital corpsman. And still, I, I, if I had a nickname, it's probably can't get right. 
Um, when I was even just when I was in boot camp, I almost got set back for getting an attitude with the other with the other young men that were trying to lead me. I just really always fought against the system. And um, that mic is not the mic that you met. Thank God. And then fast forward just a couple months from boot camp to a school. I'm in school learning how to be a medic or a, a hospital corpsman. And um, I ended up getting into an altercation with the command master chief. Now, whether you're in the military or not, that just you know, that's a big title. So I actually hit the command master chief with my car. You see in Great Lakes, when you're in Florida, you don't drive in the snow. And I went home one one Christmas while we were in school. You got Christmas break. I went and got my car. I'm driving. I hit the command master chief with my car. I slid on the ice. And uh, they said, hey, we're taking away your, uh, you're going to go to captain's mass. And I said, you can't take me to captain's mass. They said, yes, we can. You violated a direct order. And of course, I'm a smart aleck. And I said, well, no, I didn't. And they said, yes, you did. They said, I said, what did I violate? And he says, you, um, you're not allowed to drive on base. Or they said, you can't park on base. I said, I wasn't parking. I was driving. That's the only reason I hit the master chief. And they go, okay, smarty, you're going with the Marines. So I end up with the Marines and it wasn't uh, long that I really learned what it meant to be in the military. And when you get 52 Marines that you're responsible for, it wakes you up quick. And when one of my guys got shot um, in, right on the border of the Iraqi desert, that really woke me up. That was a call sign to me as a professional that it was time for me to start acting like a professional, not acting like a child. So I would say that those people around me grew me up real quick and taught me responsibility because a life was at stake. And thankfully, I was paying attention and uh, still had some a uh, little bit of a party streak in me. So by the time I left that command and went to the ship, I, I ended up at captain's mast, which is basically non-judicial punishment. Um, got into an altercation with another sailor. One thing led to another, and I ended up in uh, 45 days of restriction. 45 days of extra duty uh, with half months pay times two. So for what that means is basically I was in ship jail uh, for lack of a better term for, for uh, 45 days. And, um, and so anyway, fast forward from there, uh, I really, that kind of woke me up to the idea that um, not only do I need to be a professional at work, I need to be a professional in my, in my, in my daily living. I was doing really good things at work, but then I would go off and just act like a complete knucklehead. And before we started this, you talked about how hard it is. And it's easy when we put on that uniform to know who we are. But when we take it off, who are we? And I lost sight of that on many times and many occasions. But the constant thread that you're going to hear me talk about with you today is the fact that don't give up on people. No matter what you yeah. see today, see what their potential is. And I had, a, I had a senior chief that went to bat for me. And I asked him afterwards, I said, why did you go to bat for me? Why didn't they kick me out of the Navy? Why didn't they take away my rank? And he asked me a question. He says, is this something you did? Or is this something you do? And he says, if it's something you did, I can work with it. If it's something you do, then you need to get your butt out of the Navy. And it really just, it, it was a really bad situation that woke me up to ask myself the question, am I a man of integrity? Or am I a man of foolishness? Um, and it really, it really rocked my, my core. And so I went on there from there to be a teacher. And so that was at, at four years, I was still a, a third class petty officer. Um, and so fast forward a, a bit, learned a lot of life lessons. And I had leader after leader after leader who just saw the best in me. They saw my potential. They spoke life into me. Um, they looked at me as construction, not deconstruction, to build up and not break down, which I think that's a misconception with a lot of people. They think that we're very militant and we like to break people down. That's not it at all. And the only reason boot camp does that is to redefine and transform your identity. And so with all these leaders just kind of constantly seeing the best of me, I finally decided I didn't want to let them down. And I didn't want to let myself down. I didn't want to let my father down. Um, and my father was prior military. Um, so fast forward a few years. 
I go on to be a teacher. I was on a ship and um, in 2009, I was actually selected as the sailor, uh, the, the shore sailor of the year for the United States Navy. And so the irony of that was I had to go to Washington, D.C. I'm at the chief of naval operations. That's who actually promoted me to chief petty officer. And so to start a career in, in 98 and then by 2009 to be a chief petty officer was a huge honor. And it, it wasn't in my life didn't start being transformed until I started looking away from what I needed and started looking at what my shipmates needed. And they deserve better. And that's really what it was. And I didn't know what that looked like at the time. And if you if I if you ever hear me talk, I always say you don't have to know exactly what you're doing. You just want to have better. You just want more. As my good friend James Adwell would say, he's like, I don't need you to know exactly what you want to do with your life, but do you want to do more with it? And I was looking around at the people that I was affecting negatively. And I said, they deserve more. And the people that were leading me, I said, they deserve more. And so that, that kind of transitioned. Um, I'd be remiss not to say in 2005, I met my now wife who invited me to church and I had an encounter, a supernatural encounter with God, got saved. And he just radically transformed my life and turned it around. And um, I've been on that path ever since by the grace of God. And um, But the irony is in 2009, when I was promoted at the Navy Memorial in Washington, D.C., the master chief petty officer of the Navy, his senior chief, his public affairs officer was the guy who was announcing us as brand new chiefs. And he was also the same chief petty officer that took me to captain's mass some seven years prior. And so I remember walking up to him. I was so I was I was so embarrassed at the man that I was. And he said, it obviously worked. We invested in you that you didn't see it as an investment. And, 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 you know, Tony, I don't know if you go by Tony or Anthony on this podcast, but Tony always says, you know, you can, you can look at it, things as obstacles or opportunities. And I, and he's, I didn't see going to captain's mass as an opportunity, but the way the chief saw it, he said, I have an opportunity to transform this guy, to remold him, to make him who we see him to be, not the person that he sees himself as. And I remember saying to him, I was like, don't tell anybody. He's like, you need to tell everybody. And so, um, so from there, uh, a few years later, I decided that I didn't want my wife to have to work if we had kids. And so I thought, man, if the Navy's going to send me to grad school, I, I, I quickly worked to get a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership. Um, and I applied for a, a master's in healthcare administration and a master's in business administration. And by the grace of God, this guy who barely graduated high school with a, I didn't even get to walk at my graduation because I think I was somewhere smoking a joint, to be frank with you. I was, I was voted most least likely to succeed, put it that way. And to be offered the opportunity to go to grad school was a, a complete honor. Um, and I chose to go do the healthcare administration because I like the systems involved in helping people. I like to equip. I'm not necessarily, I, I learned, I was pre-med and I had a doctor that said to me, he says, if you don't want to be a doctor every moment you wake up, every time you wake up, if seeing patients isn't what you want to do, then stop this route. And what I realized about myself was I loved helping create the systems and the resources necessary to make sure people like you can do the jobs that they do. You know, in, in Pakistan, I think in 2010 there, or uh, 2008, there was a big earthquake and there was all these doctors there, but there was no resources. They had to have people to plan and get the resources to them. And, and so that's what I love doing. So I'm, I'm now a healthcare administrator, medical planner, medical logistics, and do stuff like that. Um, had the great pr privilege of meeting you after a after a tour in Afghanistan as an advisor, um, I thought for sure when they commissioned me after 17 years of not being in a hospital that, uh, and despite being a corpsman that they were going to send me with the, back to a hospital, but they sent me with the Marines. And shortly after that, I met you at the clinic as a, uh, as a young officer learning just like you were. And then now I work with a Marine Corps logistics detachment here in Charleston, South Carolina. So that's, that's kind of the, the scope. Yeah. You know, and, and as you were talking, what I heard was, 
you have to give up yourself, but don't give up on yourself. It's deep. And as you were saying that, it's really basically what you had to do coming up and getting to where you are today. You know, you took us back to a time where it was about you. And you said that that transformation happened when you realized it's not about what I need, but what those that I'm leading, what they need. Yeah. And But but the, at the same time, you needed people to not give up on you. That's right. And so let's go back to that. How important do you do you think is the belief, right? I, I always tell people belief drives your behavior. And when you see somebody who's acting not in a manner that you think is conducive to their future and their purpose, the chances are it's not the person, it's their behavior. And if the belief drives the behavior, then there's got to be an underlying belief or disbelief about who they are or who their image is that's driving them in the wrong direction. So how was that important to you, the belief that drove your behavior prior to and the belief that those chiefs gave to you, that borrowed belief that you, know, that you didn't want to let them down? Yeah, I mean, identity is everything, right? And a lot of times we start with behavior, but it's like it's like pruning the branches of a tree and hoping that it'll get healthy, but it's being groomed in the wrong spot. It's being grown and watered in the wrong spot. You have to uproot it. And and just because, a, you know what you call a baby apple tree that hasn't bared fruit, bore fruit yet? What's that? It's an apple tree, <laughs> right? So it, I, can, I can look at it and say, you're not an apple tree, but you're an apple tree. Whether you have apples on you or not, you're an apple tree. And I just decided that I was going to bear apples. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and so I was surrounded by people for whatever reason, it still is beyond me, the grace that they showed me. They saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself. And I believe that identity is everything. If you start with behavior, you'll never change identity. You start with identity, you change behavior. Uh, it's It sounds cheesy, but one of the biggest things that I when I've been asked about the modicum of success that I've had in the Navy, like what's your driving force? And I say, it's the sailor's creed. I am a United States sailor. I will support and defend the constitution of the United States of America. And so what's the very first statement? It's a statement of identity. And I think as we lead, we need to lead people with the identity that they've been bestowed with. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So like, it's the same with the, is it something that you did or is it someone that you are? And the reason we go to boot camp, the reason we go to officer development school is to remold who we are. And I think we could spend more time as leaders reminding people of who they are instead of reminding them of what they've done. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, and that's something that people need to be reminded of because, you know, I fell in that same trap of I'm going to leave where I'm at. I'm going to put on a uniform and automatically this is going to transform my life. That's an external way of thinking. But I think we're kind of on the same page that it's an internal that the internal has to shift before the external follows suit. That's right. What would you say about that? When people, when people that let's say people that are wearing the uniform, or if they're in business, or if you're listening to this and you're in an organization and you're leading, how important is it to know who you are inside and outside of that uniform, that tie, that that suit? Do you lead the same way and carry yourself the same way as you would in uniform as you do outside of that? How how do you find that to be true? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question with a lot of branches on it, but you know, the, the, the title of this podcast is whose or is this? And so I hate to like transition it back on you, but to answer that question, I want to ask you, why did you start this podcast? I think this might be the first one. Um, so why is this podcast called whose or is this? And what, what's your mission and vision for it? And by the way, I do want to say a plug for Tony. If, if, if you're listening to this, you're already a smart person because you're trying to figure out what Tony's trying to figure out too. And that's how to be successful in life and defining success as significance and not just status. But I want to give a shout out to Tony personally on his own podcast and just say, man, you're rocking it. He does all this out of the goodness of his heart to see people get better. His, I believe that he exists in life to help people reach their maximum potential. And that's what, that's what fuels this guy. And I just want to say 
thank you. Thank you for the platform that you give so many different people, and especially knuckleheads like me. So, <laughs> But can you tell us, just yeah. tell me and your audience why you chose to start this, who's or is it? Yeah, you know, and that's a great question because this is going to be the first time that I've interviewed somebody and it's an honor to have you, a good friend and a and a fellow uh, naval officer, but somebody who just, you know, like you said, leads from the heart. I think that's where we connected is we found something inside of us that is almost the same, that, you know, we have our unique gifts, talents and abilities, but at the end of the day, we put people before ourselves, And I think that's what attracts people and draws people to us. But when I started this, this whose or is this, which was formerly known as Lead 360, the Lead 360 was you know, how do you take leadership and what we know it to be from a textbook and flip it on its head and say that, you know, leadership is not outside in, it's inside out. So how do you lead from the inside out? Whose or is this came from the proverb, if the wind does not favor, take to the oars. And this is what I know from your, sharing your story from me and kind of my story and where, I, where I've been and where I'm going, life's never going to be just cookie cutter. There's, there's no roadmap. There's no book. I mean, we can buy all the books off the shelf and read them. And, and use it as a roadmap, but ultimately it's us doing the work. If we don't, re, if we don't take and apply what we've learned, you know, I always tell people there's really three things, live, learn, and lead. A lot of people live and they try to lead, but they have yet to learn from the experiences that they had in life. And the who's or is this is whose life are you leading? Are you leading a life or are you just living life? There's a difference. You see, you and I both have a similar upbringing in the sense that we were handed default settings. Right. And some of them don't, they, they might have served us at one point in our life, but they will no longer serve us into our future potential. Whose or is this stands for grabbing the oars, getting in the boat, and start paddling with you, what you believe to be true, with your purpose, your gifts, talents, and abilities, not what other people think you should be doing. Because you'll have people that'll, that'll criticize you for what you're doing. And when you jump out and try to jump up, they'll pull you down. And sometimes we got to let go of that baggage in order crabs to take off. Crabs in a off. bucket, man. Right. Crabs in a bucket. Everybody knows that analogy. And if you haven't, look it up. Um, but, but this whose or is this is whose life are you leading? Whose life are you living? Is it yours? Is it somebody else's? Because here's what I know. When we go out to do something that we know we should do, right? The biggest gap that we have in our life is between that and what we know and that and what we do. People all the time, they know they want to lose weight. New Year's comes, they have a resolution, right? I'm going to go and lose 10 pounds. They get two weeks into it. All of a sudden now they're back at home on the couch, watching Netflix, eating popcorn and cake and Cokes and whatever. And it's like, so whose or is this? Is it really what you want? Or is it what other people tell you you should want? Are you following the crowd? Are you following the masses? Because that's okay. But sometimes we have to understand that the M is silent. <laughs> and if we follow the masses and we don't realize that M is silent, guess what you just followed? A bunch of asses. And we have to realize that at some point in our life, we're going to come to a fork in the road. And I see this time and time again with people that I speak to, people that I coach. They get to this fork in the road and they're chasing a, a, a moving target. They climb the top of the tree and they realize they're in the wrong jungle. That's right. And they lose themselves in the process. And so the purpose of this podcast is to, to bring people in who have been down that path, who have said, you know what, I've been traveling this road and, and I'm on the wrong highway. And this is how I've course correct my life. Because I think what happens for a lot of people, especially people that listen to this platform, they believe that they're the only ones that have gone through something. They believe that they're the only ones that are going through something. And what I've known is that problems, here's what I know is everybody has them and nobody likes them. And if you meet somebody, chances are they've been through something, they're going through something, or they're about to go through something. Life has a way of throwing, throwing you curveballs. Yeah. And but we, but when we think we're the only ones going through it, and we try to do it alone, man, you, you're going to lose. You can't do this alone. Yeah. So in, in many ways, this podcast is an or. 
and I, I'm picturing when you're talking, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing somebody that's kind of stuck in their own boat. Cause let's face it. Leadership is a lonely ship. I know that sounds corny, but that's, uh, that's, I, I tell people that all the time. Leadership is a lonely ship. And when you're sitting on that boat or that ship by yourself and it's just dangling in the water and the storm's coming, what are you going to do? But throw that same person an oar and there's endless possibilities of where they can go. Right. So, I mean, this podcast and what you're doing is essentially an oar is essentially a, it, it is the opportunity to turn those obstacles into opportunities and you're providing that. So that's awesome. I like that. So to answer your question, the, it, you, you said basically, can you take someone and put them in an environment and not change their identity? We see it all the time, right? Especially in the military. When I go to my next command, when I pick up the next rank, when I get that next position or when I get the money or when I get the girl, man, it's never going to happen if who we see ourselves as doesn't change, right? A blueprint always precedes a building. And so instead of trying to look within and change ourselves, a lot of times we look at the obstacles around us and, and we see this fortified city that's coming in on us. And I promise you this, it, changing environment is important, but it's not nearly as important as changing the internal environment. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you said something really interesting when you go and we, you know, we live in Charleston, South Carolina, where there's a lot of construction. I mean, there's houses and beautiful structures being put up. But if you drive by there when it started, when they're about to, to do the construction, it's a pile of dirt. But what you see next to it is a picture of the vision of what it's going to be. That's right. And architects begin with the end in mind. They know what they have, the vision of what they're creating. They don't just go out there and just start throwing things up in the air. That's the same thing we have to do in our life. And, and, and to those that we lead and those that we love, we have to see them for what they could be, not with who they are now. That's right. And when you can speak that into somebody's life and change that belief, I think that's where you find and, and help unlock somebody's true potential. Yeah. And I think a lot of people focus on what they want to be instead of who they want to be. Ooh. Yeah. Right. And so I've, I've seen it time and time again. We, you join the military and you say, I want to be a chief. What happens when you're a chief? Now, I think if you change the question of go, I want to be this type of chief, chances are you're going to be a master chief someday. Right. But we focus on the what when the real question is the who. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we, we have something similar. We both went from enlisted to officer and we commissioned through a program. And what I found is that on my commissioning day, I was so excited and I thought it was going to be life changing. I stood up on stage in front of my family and I put the uniform on and the next day I was the same old person. Nothing's changed because it was all external. It wasn't right. internal. And it wasn't until I got hit with the first obstacle in that position of how to lead. And I didn't know who I was and it was very difficult for me. But what I found is when I reached out for help, everybody else was living the same thing. They were leading from the outside in, not the inside out. So when I needed help, nobody could answer my question because they were doing the same thing. It was a, it was like a deck of cards, a house of cards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everybody, it, 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 the last command is always the the worst command, right? But, you know, it's those, and we say that in the Navy, and I know there's a lot of people that listen to this that aren't in the Navy, but like your last job was the worst job. And it's funny, you know, it's it, people that are on a ship that's not going very well, the culture's not good, or the, the leadership's not good or whatever, people always complain about it. But then when they leave that, if somebody talks trash about that, they defend it to the death. And the funny thing is the best stories come from the biggest waves, right? The best stories come from the biggest obstacles or the biggest jerk that you had to deal with or whatever. Maybe that jerk was you, but the biggest opportunities in life come from those bad commands. They come from those difficult deployments or sucking it up and eating MREs or whatever. And that's, and that's kind of what you stand for, right? Like turning those into opportunities and, and, and kind of reshaping your destiny. And you get the opportunity to do that every day. And you talk about that all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love this quote. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at begin to change. I would add, including yourself. 
right? When you look in the mirror every morning and you brush your teeth, you're faced with a person who's capable of changing your life. But if we go out of, leave our house every day thinking, who's the matter with me? We're going to look for why everybody else is messing up my life, right? Who's the matter with me, right? Oh, well, this person cut me off. It was their fault. It's not my fault. And I always tell people, it might not be your fault, but it's always your responsibility. As a leader, as somebody who's taking charge, who's taking the oar and doing the work, it's your responsibility, no matter if it's your fault or not. Right. And we can go on and on about obstacles and problems and people pointing the finger and saying, well, it's their fault. It's not mine. But let's take it back. You said obstacles and opportunities. I know, um, you know, not just in the military. So we we, get, we got through the military. And thank you for throwing 21 years, <laughs> 21 seconds. But let's talk about the obstacle you recently and you, you just overcame and you're still overcoming. I mean, I think it's changing. You know, it, it was changing day by day. But take us back to whenever you got that 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 diagnosis. And like, what was that about? How did this happen when you got diagnosed with the C word? Yeah, so the C word, cancer. Um, I was diagnosed in, uh, so last May, I came back from 10 weeks uh, kind of away in Washington, D.C. Came back, had some blood work done for my for my physical, and it came back saying that I had some abnormalities. Um, long story short, I'm on the phone with the doctor, and he tells me I have cancer. He says, you have basically leukemia. And so that was, that rocked my world. You want to talk about putting life in perspective, uh, tell a 39 year old man he has cancer when he thinks everything's going well. But not just a 39 year old man, like you were healthy. I mean, you were doing CrossFit. I mean, you're in shape. I mean, you were, you were rocking and rolling. You were almost, I would say probably at your peak of personal and professional life. Like you, you, you had, you were going and you were leading a lot of people. You had your career was stellar, your, your life and your, and your personal life was on point. Everything seemed to be going in the direction that you, you wanted it to go. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they had to slam on the brakes. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to lie. When I heard that news, I was in bed for almost a week. I cried on a daily basis because sometimes life's obstacles hit you and you don't know what to do. And I didn't know if I was going to be alive this year. I didn't know. If, I'm so happy to be here, but I don't even go down that path <laughs> um, just to be talking to you. And I think sometimes we take life for granted. And I'm not going to get down that road. But I, I pumped the brakes on life mentally. And I thought I heard that C word and I thought I was done. And I don't know, this is to you out there, I don't know what you're going through today, but you're not done. If there's still breath in your lungs, God can use you for amazing things. <laughs> just know that. Don't even think that. Just know that. And so the question is, Theodore Roosevelt said it best right after the, or right during the Great Depression. He said, do the best you can with what you have where you are. And I woke up. I was encouraged by my wife. She let me mourn. Um, she let me get through it. And then I decided I can either get busy living or get busy dying. Oh, wow. And I wasn't going to be dying. And so... I just decided that I was going to make, I mean, all of a sudden fruit tasted better, right? Yeah. All of a sudden I, I, I really, really enjoyed taking my kids to the bus stop and I really enjoyed their laughter more and it, 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 it made everything better. And I want to encourage you that don't wait till somebody tells you you have cancer to enjoy the things that are going on around you. Don't be so aligned with trying to be successful that you forget the smiles and the laughs of little kids and just the the greatness of each day. And we can look past that. And I did that. And especially when it slammed me like a ton of bricks, it felt like I got shot uh, just being told I had cancer and we hadn't even started dealing with it yet. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't, you had something. Yeah, no, you know, and that's something that I think anybody who's, you know, and people listen to this or on their road or on the road of high performance and they're trying to achieve in every area of their life. And sometimes I think, and I found this in my personal life as well, on the road to success, I always tell people chase significance, not success. But on that road, we lose sight of the things that matter the most. And you even said, even your child's laughter. I mean, you had two beautiful girls and, you know, 
being able to put people before yourself. Sometimes if our priorities aren't in line, we lose sight of those little bitty things. So when you got that, that, that diagnosis and you were laying in that bed and you haven't even figured out what's next, you were just, that, that's just the reality just smacked you in the face. Yeah. Um, what did it look like whenever you finally got up and, 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 and said, okay, what is it? What do we do now? Where do we go from here? So uh, I'm not taking any credit for this by the grace of God. I just felt like I was moved to get up out of my bed, wipe the snot off my face. And the first thing I said to my wife was, I guess we're going to add cancer survivor to the list of things I get to do in this life. <laughs> wow. And, and she said, let's do it. And she buckled, she tied her, you know, shoelaces tight. And, uh, it, it, it turned into eight months of test after test after test after chemo. I ended up getting a really bad reaction that almost took my life. Um, I looked like a leper for a while. And, but I made a decision before I went in the hospital. I said, you know what? This is an opportunity that I have that I never would have had. I'm going to meet so many people. The, the number of people that I get to meet and be vulnerable to, for the first time in my life, I was literally stripped of all control. And my question for you, the yeah. listener, is what do you do when you're stripped of all your plans Everything goes out the window and all you're trying to do is survive. Are you going to survive or are you going to thrive? And I'm not trying to sound too cliche because we, Tony and I have rhymed a lot today, probably enough for a rap disc. But, <laughs> but the question is like, what do you do when the waves hit and you have no oar and you have no direction on where you're going? You can get busy living or you can get busy dying. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I decided you can get frustrated or you can get fascinated. And all of a sudden, all the things that used to frustrate me now fascinate me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to, uh, I mean, just sitting in the hospital room and having nowhere to go for 35 days, like I have so much more empathy now for prisoners, especially those who are wrongfully convicted. I know that's a whole nother podcast that we can talk about, but like the compassion level and what that did to my life. And I had a guy, he, he gave me two recommendations. He survived cancer the same way that I did. And he said, he said, nobody ever looks at themselves as a cancer patient. He's like, here's two things I'll promise you. He's like, here's the, the one thing you need to do. And the one thing I'll promise you, he goes, you need to let go. And I know we're on a podcast about high performance and the or and stuff like that, but there's times in your life where you need to just trust God, put him first and let go and know that you're going to be okay. And number two, that it's going to change your life is the opportunity or is the, is the situation in your life right now, the obstacle, whether it's cancer or finances or being broke or being homeless or, you know, having to pop on a drug test. Are those things going to define you or are you going to use them to define your life? What is going on, everybody? Anthony Wade here. Stopping by to remind you that if you find value in today's episode, please leave us a review. Also, please join us in our free Facebook group where we take the principles and practices discussed on this podcast and help you apply them to your life. The link is down in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you in the group. I look forward to learning and leading alongside of you. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And so I, I love what you said about, are you going to let this make you basically, is it going to make you or is it going to break you? And that's really where you were sitting in these four walls confined to a, a hospital for that amount of that many days, really with just a window and kind of a lot of time for yourself. And so what does it feel like? You know, and I think, you know, we've all been in a place where we've had to just let go and, and, and lose control. But I think a lot of people, more than not, they lose control in the, in the wrong way. What was it like to really just let go and just 
lose know that I have to let go of the control. I can't control the situation. Coming from somebody in in your position and where you've pretty much had to lead people and you've had to have have your hand on the controls, and now all of a sudden there's no control. How did how did you manage that or navigate that, if you will? You know, when about five years ago, I was driving to D.C. and it started snowing. And I, I've already told you my experience with driving in the snow. It doesn't work out too well. And uh, snow started coming thick and I was in a pickup truck, which is light in the back. And uh, all of a sudden, right in front of us, there's a eight car collision that's almost consuming the entire three lane highway leading to D.C. Uh, close to the beltway. And the very first thing that I think we all do when we lose control is try to gain it a little tighter. And I started grabbing that steering wheel and slamming on the brakes. And my wife says, like she has so many times figuratively before, let go. Let go of the wheel and take your foot off the brake. So when I did that, I was headed for certain doom. (laughs) Maybe not death, but we were getting to a bad car accident. My car followed these truck tracks and swerved around the entire group and nothing happened. We didn't have a scratch on the car. So what did I do when life smacked me in the face with, a, with what many would call a death sentence? I tried to take control. It didn't work out. But what it taught me was that there are much smarter people that have my best interest at heart. And I think sometimes, and I'm speaking to somebody right now, that sometimes we think everybody's out to get us. And sometimes it takes a life situation to remind us that there are a lot of people who have our good in mind. And so... The first thing I did was try to grip tight, and then after that, I just let go. And the the three things that I could do, I could eat, I could move, and I could drink water. And I knew if I did those things, if I could constantly eat, if I could constantly move, I could constantly drink water, if I could constantly just do the things within my circle of influence and not focus on my circle of concern. There's a, mil- there's a million lab tests involved in a bone marrow transplant and cancer that I have no way to fathom. But there's all these brilliant people that are doing their job. My job was now simplified to three things. Eat, drink water, and move. And I figure if I can do those things the best I can, I give myself a fighting shot, but I got to be vulnerable to the people around me. And sometimes when we're in those junior positions or even in those senior positions, we have to identify three things that we can do that are of the utmost important and not worry about all the other chaff because it'll just bog you down and probably make you depressed and more likely to not succeed in whatever you're, whether it's cancer or your job. So it seemed to me like you were really, um, you were looking for some kind of consistency inside the chaos. I was trying. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, I can't, there's a lot of things I can't do, but I need to focus on what I can do. Yeah. And And one of the things I started doing was identifying the beauty in the chaos. Uh, I, I found people that I could pray for that I would have normally just walked by. I became really good friends with the lady who cleaned my room. And when I was really, I had sores covering me, she told me I was a beautiful human being. I was ugly. Um, and I always joke with my wife. I said, whether I have sores on my face or I'm getting really chubby, she always sees the best in me. So I'm just a byproduct of people seeing the best in me. And and uh, and during that, that chaotic time, I, I just had to sit back. When I let go of the wheel, I had to just sit back and go, who needs me today? And sometimes it was a lady cleaning my room that needed prayer. Sometimes it was the other cancer patient that needed coffee. You know, maybe it was a friend that wanted to come see me, but I needed to see him more than he wanted to see me, you know? Yeah. You know, and that's why I, I tell people all the time. If you don't know your value or you don't know your worth, the best thing you can do is go serve other people. Be of value to other people because then you really see how much you do have to give 
okay. live in a world right now where we don't we feel like we don't have enough. We don't we don't we're not enough and we'll never be enough or whatever might have happened in your life. You think okay, well I don't I don't have enough to give. You don't understand. Well, giving goes beyond just money. Yeah. And so I think that that's something that when you look at yourself and you don't like what you see, go out there and serve somebody. Just go out and give what you do have. Yeah. Time, talent, or treasure. And then what you see is all of a sudden that you are valuable, that you are worthy, and that people will love you no matter what you look like. Yeah. They love you for who you are. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, when you're stuck in a hospital, what do you do? And I read a story about a lady for 19 years that thousands upon thousands of people's lives were changed by the power, the direct impact of her prayers. So I decided that while I'm in the hospital, I have a lot less it's like being deployed, right? You're worried about surviving, eating, sleeping, and working out. And when you're in the hospital, when you're going through difficult times, sometimes it strips away all the chaff. It's kind of like this COVID thing. It's very, very bad, but it strips away all the chaff sometimes and reminds you of what's important. And when I was doing that, I said, what can I do in this hospital room? And God's like, well, you got me. And I, I reached out to everybody. I said, how can I pray for you? And I found myself more entrenched in prayer and talking to God for people and interceding for them than I probably ever would have done if I was busy with life or trying to figure out what to go do for somebody. Yeah, so it's really just a surrender. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I've been, it's been my will, but you know what? Like, it's it's thy will, not not, not my yeah, will. Go make I, God laugh. Give him your plans. <laughs> right, right. So, at, and and we'll take this in for a landing, but I, want, I wanted to, to you to walk people through the process. So you got the diagnosis. You've been in the chaos. You're in the middle of it. And now you, you they've come up with a plan of how this is going to move forward. How you're going to survive this thing. What, what, what was that? Like, I know from a medical perspective, the, the deal you had to go through, but can you explain, you know, the process to get from where you were to where you are now? Yeah, and I'll try to make it quick because I know we're running out of time. When I originally went in, my blast cells, my cancer cells were at a certain percentage that was considered safe for bone marrow transplant. I could get chemo, it would take me all the way down to zero, and then it would be safe enough for bone marrow. But right before I went in, I prayed and I felt like I needed to get another biopsy, even though it had only been two months. And I wanted to know one of two things. Was I worse or was I healed? And I was praying for the latter, that's for sure. And and so when I went in, I found out that my cancer cells or the cancer cells had jumped 12%, which put me in the category of no longer healthy for a bone marrow transplant. And they had already had the bone marrow uh, donor lined up and everything like that. And that's another thing that's very humbling. Um, and I do want to make a quick comment on confidence and humbleness, right? If you want to be successful in whatever you're doing, you got to combine humble confidence. It can't just be humble and it can't just be confidence. It's got to be humble confidence. But it's very humbling to know that another human being that you've never met halfway around the globe is going to save your life. So um, I basically, they found out that my, my bone marrow was a little dirtier than they thought, basically. I had to go get it cleaned up. So I spent five weeks in the hospital and they thought it was going to be three. I ended up in there for five. Um, I was out just in time for Halloween, so I dressed up as a patient. I just put my gown back on. I was bald head with scars, and my wife was a doctor. Uh, had to go back in, so I had to basically get, I had to get chemotherapy to be clean enough to get chemotherapy. So to hear that news was a major setback. So it was just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Went back in the hospital. They gave me chemo again for a week, bone marrow transplant, and then the the bone marrow transplant took. Um, there was some obstacles along the way. Not everything went perfect. And now here I am six months later, cancer free by the grace of God. And I praise him every day. So they literally had to take a whole person's blood type and change your blood type. Right? Oh, yeah. Like It's almost like, like face off, but inside of you. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I told the doctor, I said, I must have gotten the, the bone marrow of a 25 year old man because I feel better than I felt <laughs> in years. And my bone marrow switched from O positive to B positive. 
I didn't even know that was possible. Right. And from a medical perspective, I mean, those of you listening to medical providers, like in order to do that, like there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah. Like it's not just, okay, let me give you my blood and you have to make sure it's a type and cross. It's a oh. match. There's and, so many, there's so many variables. Yeah. Wow. Like life, right? Like yeah. leadership. There's so many variables. What are you going to do with them? Right. Wow. And so, so now where's Mike now? And where do you see Mike in the next two years? Like you're here now, you've, you, you, you went through a test and I always say those tests in life become your testimony. So what, what are you up to now? What, what, what have you done with what you've been through and where you are now? Where do you see yourself going in the next few years? So right now, still in the Navy, still serving the Marine Corps. And I, I, I find it very important to focus on where I am with what I have and, and do the best I can where I am with what I have. So I'm focusing on the military the best I can and, um, and, and doing what we can, especially considering COVID and all the, the obstacles that that throws. But the, the, the real focus for me right now is my family and focusing on them and growing a church. We're growing a chosen church here in Charleston, South Carolina. We're a group of believers that just believe in empowering, encouraging, and equipping one another to, to go be the light of the world. So um, that's hopefully the long-term plan. We'll see how the promotion results turn out and we'll go from there. But, you know, uh, gone are the days where I try to dictate every exact plan like it's going to work out according to my steps. I'll do, do the best I can today and love the people around me. Yeah, and so one one thing that I wanted to ask you as we get ready to wrap this up, how is your view on life and 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 really um, how you show up for the for those around you? How has that changed pre you know cancer to now, knowing that you know you've you've went through it, you've gone through it, you've come out on the other side? How, how does that change your perspective? So my leadership philosophy I gained from a show called The Prophet. And he used to examine businesses. And uh, so my leadership, my command philosophy for the command I'm at is people, process, product. And to make it very quick, uh, if we focus on people, the product gets better, or excuse me, the process and the process, the product gets better. And admittedly, when I, when I used to talk about that, it was always in that order, people, process, product. And that was the importance is that it was in that order, but they all carried the same weight, unfortunately. I, I hate to say that. They all carried the same weight in my mind. Um, but if I take care of the people, because a lot of times the process is only broken because the people aren't taken care of, right? So that's a word for somebody. And I can see the process and the people, how it's working out by the product. But I guess I say all that to say this, that this has really opened up my eyes to smell the roses, so, so to speak. And people, people, people is the biggest, most important component. Just being and doing life with the people around us and knowing that they care. What's that What's that Maya Angelou uh, quote? Um, people will forget what you say, they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget the way you make them feel. We have the ability as leaders to empower people and to grow them to be their best selves and to take them from potheads to, to chiefs to naval officers with degrees, which is completely unheard of, to take them from homeless and on the streets to impacting hundreds of thousands of people across the globe. Um, and you can only get that done by having an identity change, by seeing the best in people and letting people see the best in you. And I, I think the biggest thing that's changed is I see so much more in people, even at a greater level than I ever have. Wow. And that's amazing. And, I, and just being able to see that, witness that firsthand, I can say that, you know, that whole concept of transformational leader, you do, you've not only done it and lived it, but now you're leading other people to do the same. And so... My last question for you as we get ready to turn this off and, and call it a day, what does it mean for you, the, the quote, take to the oars? What does, that, what does that mean? If somebody's asking you, what does that mean to take to the oars? How does that ring true in your life? Or what does that mean for you in your life? Yeah, so the, the, the unique thing about an oar is it can be used for many different 
It, it has many different utilities in a boat, right? You can smack a shark with it if you need to. You can uh, nudge the person in front of you. Um, but the pic- there's a picture that comes in my mind of, uh, I was watching The Biggest Loser a couple weeks ago, and they put all these, all these folks in a boat, and they're all rowing, or they're all using their oar to go in their own direction. And it wasn't until somebody sat in the back and they used it, it wasn't used as a rowing device, it was used as a uh, rudder. And so United States Navy aircraft carriers are some of the biggest aircraft carriers in the world. And you think power, you think nuclear, you think these big screws, but you know what decides the direction of that ship? You know what decides the direction of that little paddle boat? It's the rudder. So when I, the, whose who's oar is it or what is the oar to me? The oar is the rudder. Um, and I think sometimes if we get, we can keep paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling and we're going in the wrong direction or we're on a team that's just paddling. And maybe sometimes we need to take a step back and decide which direction we want to go in the first place. And it's simple as just holding the rudder in the right direction or holding the oar in the right direction rather than trying to just work your tail off. And like you said, you can keep climbing the ladder and realize you're on the wrong wall. And so the, the oar to me is an opportunity to decide the direction of your life to decide whether or not you're going to submit to cancer or if cancer is going to submit to you. Decide whether or not you're going to be a criminal in the Navy or if you're going to help criminals transform their lives. If you're going to be a leader or a whiner or a winner, it's entirely up to you and it's entirely decided by the direction that you choose to take today. Man, well said. Thank you so much for your time today. It's an honor and a privilege to sit down with you and connect, reconnect, but then also have this conversation that I'm sure thousands of people around the world are going to hear and take away so many nuggets that you shared today. So thank you for that. Man, it's my pleasure. I just want to encourage everybody listening to go tell, share this link with, not just this link, but share this podcast with everybody you know and help help their lives get changed too so you can toss them an oar in their time of need. (laughs) Thanks, brother. Thank you for tuning in today. As always, if you found value in today's episode, please share it with those you lead and those you love. Also, don't forget to connect with me on social media. My Instagram is Anthony Wait Official, And on Facebook, we have a Lead360 group where you can request access and stay up to date on the next leadership and development training happening every single month. Don't forget to be intentional and make an impact. Remember, live, learn, and lead.